attorney Gerald Griggs of Justice Fighter. I don't think they ready for you, attorney Griggs. Hey guys, what's going on? It's attorney Gerald Griggs with the Justice Fighter podcast here on the Justice Media platform, the Justice Media Network. And so I have been getting the questions. I've seen it on social media. I've seen it on regular media, people talking about the coronavirus or COVID-19. And I wanted to bring in an expert, a doctor who can break this down. And so I got in touch with one of my good friends and they introduced me uh, to Dr. Clark. And I want to introduce you to Dr. Clark. Dr. Clark, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on, Gerald. My name is Dr. Melissa Clark. Um, I am an emergency medicine physician by training, been doing that for uh, over 25 years. Um, I also have been assistant dean at, of medical education at Howard University College of Medicine. And I've had about a 10-year history of being in medical quality and population health, basically helping hospitals and doctors to improve the health outcomes of their patients and ensure that they're uh, providing the highest quality of care, especially to vulnerable populations. Well, thank you. Thank you. And so I kind of want to just start at the basics. You know, a lot have been going around uh, on social media and regular media about the coronavirus, but a lot of people don't understand what it is. So could you just tell the people what coronavirus is? So coronavirus is actually the name of a family of viruses. Um, and the corona, one that we are currently dealing with, is called COVID-19. The 19 stands for 2019, which is when it was first introduced into the population from an animal uh, source. And um, the thing that's really unique about it, we've, we've dealt with other coronaviruses in the past, hence this one has a special name to distinguish it from the others. The thing that's unique about this is we've never been exposed to a virus like this before, and uh, meaning this specific virus before. So we don't have any kind of immunity. In addition, we have no treatment for it, and we have no vaccine for it. And the vaccine and the treatment are at least uh, estimates anywhere from nine months to 18 months away um, from both the vaccine and the treatment. So this is traveling through the population at a rapid rate because we don't have anything to stop it. And it's different from the flu. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's just, you know, it's nothing but the flu. You know, why is everybody in a panic? The flu has killed 22,000 people already this year. And we're not in a panic about it. The difference between that and the flu is we have a vaccine for the flu. We've had, we have some immunity to the flu, and we have treatment for the flu. The difference with this is it's expected that it's going to infect about 40 to 70% of the population. So in the U.S., that means 150 million people. The good news is that 80% of those people will do just fine. They'll have mild symptoms. But 20% of people will, may require hospitalization because of a severe form of pneumonia that can be fatal. And it's expected that about 1% of people will die. Now, 1% doesn't sound like a lot of people, right? But if you're talking about 1% of 150 million people, which is the number of people that are expected to be affected in the United States, we're now talking about 1.5 million deaths. Wow. And so that's why people are um, very uh, taking this extremely seriously. You're seeing um, the shutdowns of cities and segments of the economy and people staying home from school because the hope is that by stemming the spread of the virus, 
by social distancing, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute, by using social distancing, we'll be able to diminish that 150 million people who get it so that the death rate of 1% will be from a lower number of people that gets it. So therefore, there'll be a lower death rate. And our medical system won't be overwhelmed by that 20% of people who will need hospitalization. Wow. Okay. So let's break that apart because um, there are a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of rumors and, and innuendo that's out there, but they're expected to have between 40 to 70% of the population get infected. That is correct. And, and, and so, oh, go sorry, go ahead. Oh, and, and of the 40 to 70%, 1% of those could end in a fatality. That is correct. Okay. And so there's also another rumor out there that I want to get some guidance on. There seems to be rumors in social media that black people can't get this disease. Let's put that to bed right now. We've already seen that Idris Elba has gotten the disease, has gotten COVID-19. He did, I think, like a Instagram post about how he has it. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there are two emergency physicians who've been on the front lines treating patients one is 40 years old in Seattle. The other is 70 years old in New Jersey. The 70-year-old 70, 70 gentleman uh, physician is African-American. So those are two high-profile people right off the bat who we know who are African-American or of African descent, however you want to think about it, who have gotten this virus. The reason that that rumor started is early on in, the, in this pandemic, there were very few cases being reported from the African continent, and the rumor was that it was only tourists to the African continent who were getting it. Well, Africa had not really ramped up, African countries had not really yet ramped up with testing, and um, so therefore it appeared that there were not cases. But cases, new cases are happening every day. We know we're in a very rapidly um, evolving environment, and so yes, it is definitely true. Black people can get it. The other uh, rumor is that it doesn't happen in places where the weather is warm. Well, that's not true either. We're having cases in Florida. We have cases in the Philippines. Again, we have cases in the Caribbean and African countries, so uh, in Brazil. So we know that absolutely that's not the case. It can happen in places where the weather is warm. And another rumor that's kind of floating out there is that this was a man-made disease uh, released by either the American Army or the Chinese Army. Can you add any light into that particular rumor? I can add absolutely no light to that rumor because there is no way for us to know whether that's true or not. And frankly, at this point, it's, it's really immaterial because is it going to affect your behavior as to how you protect yourself and your family and your community from getting this? No. I think at this point in time, it's important to focus on uh, prevention of getting it and understanding if you're in a risk group to get it, um, understanding what to do if you get it, um, and how to protect your family and community. Definitely. And so let's, let's, let's talk about that. How can people... Who, well, first off, who is in the highest risk um, categories for um, for death from this virus? Excellent question, Gerald. So we've heard already that people who are elderly are in that risk group. And I have friends who are 60. Mm -hmm. 
they don't think of themselves as elderly. But unfortunately, for the purposes of COVID-19, people who are 60 and above are considered elderly. And that's based on data out of China that shows that the people who end up in ICU um, are, are at least 50% of them are 60 years old and older. The other risk group are people with underlying health conditions. So I've seen a lot of mixed messages and confusion that it's people who are 60 and over with underlying health conditions. No, it's people who are 60 and over and also people who could be younger than 60 who have underlying health conditions as well. So that includes, those conditions include high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, lung disease like asthma, COPD, chronic bronchitis, cystic fibrosis, and definitely, even if you don't have one of those diagnoses, if you are a chronic smoker, you're in a high-risk group. In addition, people who are immune compromised. So that means people whose immune systems are not functioning at 100% for whatever reason. So that includes people with HIV, people who take medicine for cancer treatment, uh, people who have diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, who might be on a biologic agent like Humira or Arencia, um, that the way those medicines work are to tamp down your immune system. So all those people are in, at higher risk. Um, young people, again, Anybody can get the virus, but people who are young and who have no underlying health conditions can get the virus and they can be anything from exhibiting no symptoms at all to having, you know, fever and cough and achiness, sort of the typical thing you would think of with the flu. But the people who are in the high-risk categories, the concern is that they may develop the pneumonia that requires you to be hospitalized and be on oxygen and be at risk of death. And so that's why they're talking about the lack of ventilators and the lack of uh, bed space in the hospitals? Exactly. And so that's one reason why we're, again, asked to stay indoors. And if we're outdoors to practice social, if we're, you know, away from our home to practice, uh, let me back up. We're being asked to stay in our home. Mm -hmm. And if we're away from our home to practice social distancing, which means, staying six feet apart. And the idea, again, is to stem the the spread of the virus so that when people get sick, they're not all bum-rushing the hospital at the same time. And therefore, um, there's not enough staff to take care of them, not enough rooms to put them in, not enough ICU beds to, to care for those who become very ill, not enough masks, and protective equipment for the staff who are there to wear. So there is a sort of a ripple effect of a bunch of people getting sick at the same time, and that's really what we're trying to back off of and ensure that doesn't happen. And so, uh, you know, as a medical professional, um, why do you think it took so long for Americans to start to take this seriously? Uh, Because from from what you're saying, I, I think of, a large number of particularly African-Americans who could be susceptible because some of the the conditions you named are the list that goes through our community. So I'm trying to figure out why, you know, particularly African-Americans aren't taking this seriously. 
we should be taking this very seriously. Um, I say of those diseases I, I named, any random African-American over 50 years old, at least half, half of us have one of those conditions that I named, um, which means that the other half of us probably know or live with somebody who's, who has one of those conditions. Um, why did we take long? I think we received mixed messages mm -hmm. from our leadership. Um, we were being told, oh, it's a hoax at one point. Oh, it's nothing but the flu. Oh, it'll be gone by April. Um, when the warm weather comes, well, oh, it's a Chinese disease. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, explained away that this is not something that's going to affect us. So when you get messages like that from leadership, you act accordingly, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is this lack of testing. Um, the only way to know, um, it, it's like trying to take care of a patient and you're not taking their temperature. Right. Mm -hmm. How how are you going to know how bad the situation is unless you can assess it? And the way to assess it is to test, 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 test. We see that countries that have handled it successfully, like South Korea um, and Taiwan um, from day one, um, which was really back at the very beginning of January, late December from day one. They started taking people's temperatures. They started administering tests to understand how widespread the disease was. Well, we haven't even gotten to that point, and we've had our first patient since January 22nd. So here we are two months, almost two months later, and we still don't have testing deployed. And again, I think that is the fact that the administration was caught flat-footed because they, they didn't take it seriously, at least the decision-makers. We're not taking it seriously. I won't say the people who are advising them weren't taking it seriously, but the decision makers weren't taking it seriously. So today, you know, if somebody, I've had multiple people call me to say, hey, you know, I have a fever. Where can I go get tested? I don't even know what to tell them because um, up until recently, the criteria to get tested was you had to have been out of the country and or been around somebody who was known to be positive. Well, how do you know somebody who you're around is positive if they can't get the test? And we already know that it's in the spreading in the community. So the whole idea that you had to have gone out of the country is ludicrous because we're at the level of community spread here. This is one of the countries where you could get it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the numbers that we're seeing reported in the media are only those people who've met the criteria to be tested. Mm -hmm. um, so that doesn't speak to the hundreds of people who are walking around, um, it's estimated that for every person in the hospital, um, at least seven people in the community have it and weren't sick enough to get tested, at least. Some people estimate that there are about 500,000 people who have it in the United States right now. I am in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Okay. In Washington, D.C., then, do we know how many tests are available at this point? So the best way to find out, um, and, you know, specifically for Georgia or any state that you're in, is to call your local health department mm -hmm. or go on their website. Uh, they list the protocols for testing as new drive-by test centers um, arise. They can let you know where they are. Um you can also reach out to your doctor if you have a doctor. Um, if you feel like you have symptoms, call them. They can also direct you as, as to what to do, whether they think that you need testing. In an ideal situation, again, everybody would be tested, but because there are a lack of tests, 
doctors have been put in a position of having to ration out the test and only those people who they deem who would be the sickest, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so like if you have a pre-existing condition or you're exhi exhibiting the symptoms of early pneumonia like shortness of breath, only then will you be tested. So in the interim, just call your doctor or call the local health department to determine whether you would be in a category to be tested. And so there's a there's a lot of information out there about how people should respond. Uh, I've seen the CDC's guidelines, which have changed a couple times. What do you believe people should do to limit the spread of this pandemic? I believe that we should abide by what the public health recommendations are in your jurisdiction. Um we're seeing the country starting with San Francisco and possibly very soon New York moving to, you know, asking people to just stay in their homes, work from home, only essential personnel whose jobs require them to be, you know, out and about, um, such as policemen, uh, doctors, firemen, et cetera, should be reporting to work. Otherwise everybody else should work from home. Um, and then, if you have been somebody who's been out and about in the community um, and you're, and you are living with people who are in a high risk category, like if you live with your, if your parents live with you or your spouse has high blood pressure or, or asthma, um, you want to be very, very careful immediately when you walk into the house, wash your hands, wash your hands for 20 plus seconds. Um, use hand sanitizer if you have it, um, when you're out and about in the streets, anytime you touch something, wash your hands if you can. As first choice, use hand sanitizer. Second choice. Um, the other thing, uh, at your house, make sure you're wiping down surfaces uh, frequently. Uh, wipe down your cell phone frequently. Anything you touch frequently. Your pocketbook for women. Uh, your wallet for men. Make sure that you're very cognizant of everything that you touch. And when you touch it, wipe it down. Wow. Okay. And wash, wash, wash your hands. And so um, for the, the listeners um, that this is the first time that they've heard this level of um, uh, information about this the coronavirus, um, how can they get more information about it? Uh, and how to deal with it and, and, and the best way to spread the information, because clearly from the top, it's not coming down. Um, but, you know, I, I would just ask, how, how would they get that information? Local jurisdictions are really stepping up to the plate. So I would say the two best sources of information would be the CDC um, and local and state health departments. They all have websites that you can go to and get information. I said another tier of good information is academic hospitals. So whatever the academic hospital is in your area, um, or or um, so for example, Emory. If Emory has a website, generally they'll have something up about COVID nineteen. Here in this in my area, it would be uh, Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. So you can also go to your academic local academic medical center's website, and they typically also have very good information there as well. Okay. And before we came, don't on, don't. Oh, go can I just say one last thing? Yeah, go don't ahead. go to Instagram. Don't go to Instagram, Facebook, um, or <laughs> any other kind of social Snapchat, media as your primary source <laughs> of information. TikTok, none of those. Um, 
and you we were talking before we got on air, you were talking about um, your specialty and the fact that you have um, some literature uh, that can help people in the future. Could you tell them about that? Yes. So uh, thanks for asking. Um, so I'm an author as well. I've written a book called Excuse Me, Doctor, I've Got What? It's, and the subtitle is Taking Ownership of Your Health and Making Healthcare Work for You. So it's all about understanding how to be an empowered healthcare consumer. It means um, understanding how to um, implement self-care for yourself. And then when you have to interact with the medical system, how to effectively navigate it. And so the, especially the parts that pertain to self-care right now are critical in this epidemic because it talks a lot about um, the five self-health actions that you can take to boost your immune system, for example. Um, It also talks about uh, alternative therapies, alternative medicine, and what is the evidence behind it. So which things should you choose out of all the possibilities of alternative medicines out there that have been proven to help with things like boosting your immunity? So um, it can be uh, ordered from my website, which is drmelissaclark.com, D-R-Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E.com. Um, and, um, and you can also reach me by email at info at drmelissaclark.com. And are there any other social media handles that people can go to as well um, to get directly in touch with you? Uh, yes, absolutely. I That same drmelissaclark.com mm-hmm. is also my Facebook page and my Twitter account. Um, just last night I did a, um, a Facebook Live that's up if, if, with a Q&A, and I'll probably do a, another one uh, on a regular basis. Others, as this uh, situation unfolds, uh, it was specifically about COVID-19, but we'll do others that, you know, deal with specific topics like, again, boosting your immune system, your mental health during COVID-19, et cetera. So, um, again, DrMelissaClark.com for Facebook and Twitter. And, and so as we wrap up, how long do you expect this particular pandemic or this um issue to to go because we've heard from the administration that once it gets warm and of course it's it's warm in, in georgia so it's still here uh but when as a medical professional can we expect life to at least return to some semblance of normality i would love to give you an answer to that question because i think it could reassure your listeners unfortunately i don't think anybody knows even the experts are saying it may be three months it may be six months. Uh, we don't know. If we're judging by, you know, the countries that have gone before us, mainly China, um, for them, the outbreak started uh, at the end of December, and now they're reporting that they're having a significant slowdown in the number of new cases. Um, of course, we haven't handled it exactly as China has. So um, if you judge by that, it's a three-month period of time. But there are others dynamics and factors um, in the way that we're dealing with it that may potentially prolong that. So again, at this point, um, unfortunately, I can't say for sure. And that's understandable. Well, we really appreciate you uh, joining us on the podcast. Are there any last thoughts that you want to leave the list? Yeah, I do. This is a, you know, this is a high stress time. 
for, for everybody. And, you know, um, we are going to be spending more time with our families, more time indoors. Um, we're going to have restrictions to our lives that we've never experienced. And I think now is the time to be kind to one another, uh, especially to our families who we're in close quarters with, um, and kind to ourselves. Do something, you know, set a goal for yourself during this period of time. Try to learn something new to sort of occupy you. Um, set some goals for your children who might be home from school in terms of what they're going to learn new that you can focus on other than maybe watching CNN and looking at Facebook all the time and getting new revelations about the virus every day, which just up your stress level. Um, so again, be kind to each other um, and be kind to yourself. Well, thank you, Dr. Clark. I really appreciate you. And anytime you want to come back on the platform, and the door is always open. This is Attorney Gerald Griggs, a Justice Fighter, here on Justice Fighter Podcast on the Justice Media Network. We've been with Dr. Melissa Clark, and we truly appreciate you, and thank you for all the work you're doing for the community. Thank you for having me, Gerald. You have a great day. You too. This is Attorney Gerald Griggs, a Justice Fighter. I don't think they're ready for you, Attorney Justice Griggs. Justice Fighter.